Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me as always is Vince. Zach is dead. R.I.P. Zach. We will avenge your honor by uh, saying good words about your 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 good boy Bort. He was uh, thrown out of Shopsons and into the East River and drowned. Yep. That's how he died. And so did Kenny Shopson, so R.I.P. It's tragic on all ends, really. But we're going to soldier on the discussion of Batgirl number 26, written by Marguerite Scott, illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Uh, this is the beginning of the Scott era in, in sort of... Uh, in last issue, there were a number of stories written by a number of writers, but this is the first all-Scott issue thus far. And Vince, what did you think of it? Um... I like that Peltier art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, yeah. This is... Bad? I wouldn't go so far as to say bad. But it's a step down from the, the Batgirl that we've come to know and really love over the last few years, I think. Um... Okay, actually, this issue kind of was bad. Yeah, this issue was the bad one. Um, the an- the annual's better. Yeah, we'll get to that. Which, which we'll talk we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, so I don't understand. Go ahead, go ahead. You're you're wanting to get in. Well, here. I, my main point here is that like one of my least favorite things that a new writer on a series can do is to spend their entire first issue inside the character's head, just mm-hmm. giving narration. I feel like that is the laziest way to establish a new status quo because it doesn't force you to do anything. It just all you're doing is literally typing out the things you want to say, not finding creative ways to say them. And uh, this issue is really, really full of that. Just like most of the issue is just background narrating to herself, and uh, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Um... Uh, I also really don't like that we're going back to the well on the, um, paralysis spinal thing. Um, I think, I think I've said this before on the show, but if they were going to do this thing with Barbara Gordon, where they, where they undo the killing joke then I'd prefer as a reader that they either, you know, make vague gestures at it once in a while as part of her history or ignore it entirely and pretend it didn't happen. This thing where it's like, it seems to pop up where it's going to be like a threat that she's going to be paralyzed again. Um, I just think that that's, I don't know, to me, to me, that's playing a little bit fast and loose with, with something that's supposed to be a pretty serious issue, you know? Yeah. And I guess the flip side of that argument is like, well, she's overcoming, she's overcoming this, uh, you know, disability or whatever, but 
it doesn't it never really plays out like that in the comics it never really feels like that's the narrative intent with it you know right it always feels like it's a a spooky potential consequence of having this chip in her spine and not something that she's constantly working to overcome or or you know that that's what oracle was that's what the existence of oracle was really it's her persevering you know despite having her mobility taken from her right right, right. I, I feel like going back to that well, it never comes across as well. I agree with that. I'll, but, you know, people are free to disagree with me. It's just the way that I, whenever I read a story that involves that, it always feels that way to me. It just seems to me like it's become the lazy character trait for anybody who wants to give Barbara Gordon the slightest bit of depth. They just mm-hmm. throw that in there as opposed to. I think Barbara Gordon's a fascinating character for a lot of reasons, and they should build those things up as opposed to just going back to the same, uh, like poorly, poorly discussed injury. Because it's it's also like it's it's one of those things where they feel the need to sort of retell the story all the time. Like even here, she says something like, you know, um, I'm not gonna be able to find it directly, but something like, you know. My life was taken from me, and I was given another chance. Like they just, it's constantly brought up. Whenever any new creator takes on the book, it seems like it's instantly where they go to, and it's just boring. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, I did have one question about this sure. before we m- move on from it. If we don't have anything more to say, uh, so this villain that she's uh, tracking down in this grotesque, yes turns their victims into famous works of art. Mm-hmm. Which famous work of art would you want Grotesque to turn you into after your grisly murder? Ooh. Um. Well, you've clearly thought about this. You answer first. Yeah, dogs playing poker. <laughs> um. I want to be the pencil rubbing that the dude does in uh, Jackie, what's his name's house in the Big Lebowski of just the guy with the big dick. <laughs> Jackie Treehorn. Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> that is a famous work of art. It is, it is truly. <laughs> well done. I can't believe I forgot the name Jackie Treehorn for a second. There. Jackie Treehorn. Yeah. Carl Hungus. <laughs> uh, the Big Lebowski. All right, well, it's a classic. It is. Let's um, let's move over to the second Batgirl story we get this week. Uh, Batgirl Annual Number Two, written by Scott again, illustrated by Elena Casagrande, and uh, this is. Uh, I was talking about this before. This is a story that has nothing to do with the rest of the. Like, <laughs> it's weird that Marguerite Scott began her run in earnest like five minutes ago, and this is already a side story. <laughs> but this is a much better story. It is a much better story, and it is one that I think we will... They they tease that it's possibly going to be returned to down the road yeah. with with uh, James Gordon Jr., um, James Johnston, friend of the show. Uh, someday we'll play that character in a movie. Yep. <laughs> That's his dream. Uh, it's our collective dream. It's the multiversity. It dream. is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Um, it's uh... so I, I have a note about James Gordon Jr. here. Yeah, I feel like there was a couple of years there. I guess right after Scott Snyder used him in uh, the the Black Mirror, where he was like a de rigueur character to pop up now and then. Mm-hmm. When was the last time we actually saw him? Wasn't he? Wasn't he involved in Suicide Squad? Like either when Alishkot start started his run or shortly after? I believe it was during Alishkot's run. Okay, which was only like three or four issues. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and then and then I don't I don't know if that continued after Cot was done because I didn't I didn't stick with it. But if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that the first Suicide Squad of the New Fifty Two? Because there were like three different ongoing series under that title. Well, the first Suicide Squad was Adam Glass. Right, no, I, yeah, but but Glass left that book relatively shortly after. I mean, like it's before they rebooted it. I think it was Volume One. Okay. Yes, yeah, right. or not Volume One, but Volume One post rebirth. Yes, both no post New Fifty Two. Po- that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So many Suicide Squads. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but I feel like he- too many squads. <laughs> It takes a lot to make a squad, a dash of madness, some killers too. Uh, that's a deep cut, folks. Um, it's uh, I feel like James Gordon Jr. is used pretty well here. He's not. Um, they don't go full Hannibal Lecter with him here, but it's. Um, This wasn't my favorite story of the week, but I certainly felt this was much, much better than what we got earlier with uh, Batgirl number 36. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm much more I'm much more intrigued by the uh, by the James Gordon Jr. stuff than I am by anything in that other issue. I also think that Casa Grande is an underrated artist. Yeah. Yep. Folks, get used to this kind of conversation because there's not much to say about a lot of these books this week. So <laughs> this show is going to be done in like under an hour. Yeah, especially because you know we have to get the planning Zach's memorial service. Yeah. Yep. So um, Ariana Grande is performing at it. Well, hopefully, we got to keep that keep that bishop away from her. I was say, ho- hopefully, no clergyman <laughs> makes fun of her name this time. So, man, we are really dating this episode. <laughs> uh wow virginia tech upsetting fsu yeah. can you believe that uh, jacob Degrom setting a major league record tonight for the mets so yeah um anyway <laughs> let's um let's move over to the first of the uh dc hanna-barbera books Catwoman, Sylvester, and Tweety, number one. <laughs> you sound fucking thrilled. Well, let me okay. Let me say this. So I, um, <laughs> I read these not in alphabetical order, much to Vince's chagrin, and um, <laughs> so I read um, the the Lex Luthor one first, then the Catwoman one, then this one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Luthor, Catwoman, the Joker one and then the harley quinn one in that order and i think that that order very much determined how i felt about various um books here but you start this time i thought yawn what did you think of this uh of this book written by gail simone and illustrated by inaki miranda um 
You know, I continue to have the same problem, the same exact problem with these crossovers. And it is a fundamental problem that the books themselves cannot overcome. And while I like some of them better than others, I think they all miss the mark in a fundamental way to where I can't really, I can't really look forward to reading any of these. Um, and that's, we've talked about it. It's the, the voices of the characters are sometimes right. I'm talking about the Looney Tunes characters. Uh-huh. Sometimes they get the voices right. But just the look and the feel, I mean, I, I know what they're going for is one, one or three quarters of the book is DC with the Looney Tunes character coming into it. And then the the back matter is Looney Tunes that just happens to have a DC character in it. But these Looney Tunes characters do not feel right unless they are in their classic forms and art styles, I don't think. Like, to me, when I read this, Sylvester and Tweety more or less looking like more realistic versions of the animals that they portray throws the that alone throws the tone way off. And there were moments of entertainment, things I liked about some of these. I thought it was kind of clever how with the, the, the Catwoman Tweety one, it was like a war between the cat based heroes of the DCU basically versus the bird ones. Yeah. And they found some creative ways to get around that, I think. And I think at one point, one character even says, like, well, for some reason, if if we win, all the cat characters survive. And if we lose, all the bird characters. So, you know, it was very much like uh, none of this makes any sense, but it doesn't have to. Right. Kind of a, kind of a thing. Yeah, I actually thought that uh, aspect of this issue was sort of fun. Yeah, yeah it was. Characters like Catman. And Hawk and Dove showing up, you know, and that's always that's always fun. Yeah, and with Gail Simone writing, there was plenty of uh, there were a lot of jokes and teases to characters she's written before, or elements of the characters that don't always get talked about or kind of get thrown to the wayside. Um, re- returning Black Canary to like her her musical career. Uh, was fun. Um, but on the whole, the style, and I'm a, I'm an Anaki Miranda fan. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the, the art as it physically exists, but when it comes to Looney Tunes, it's just, it doesn't hit the mark. None of these did, you know, you look at the backups the backup for this art wise is exactly the sort of visual tone that I'm looking for, you know? See, okay. I want to talk about the backups in a minute. Um, Even though it's not, yeah, before you say that, even though it's not really, it's also not really Looney Tunes. Like the backup for the, you know, it's, it's cartoony in a way that's not exactly Looney Tunes, but it, it hits that tone in the way that I want. But what were you going to say? Can we just talk about the four of these books together? Sure, why not? Yeah, I think that makes a little more sense. So, um, I have no patience for the backups this this time around. Mm. Um, and I think part of it is that I think a ton of the art looks like 
unused animation cells. Like there's <laughs> very little creativity going on in the art of the backups. Uh, this I think this round is worse, considerably worse than last round in terms of the backups. Um, and I think also that by like these are essentially annual sized issues. So by like the 29 or 30 page mark, whatever it is, I'm just done with this concept. You know, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah. shot. I don't want to read more of it. I specifically don't want to read like a, like a, a, even an even more toothless version of what I just read. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just a really, it's a really poor, um, I think it's a really poor decision to put them in this, in these books. Um, but I was, I was saying, what, what if you, what if, what if it would have been just the cartoony backups? Um, I don't know because I don't particularly care for that art stuff because I don't think that that looks like fun Looney Tunes art. To me, that looks like stuff you pass at a Six Flags or a Warner Brothers store. Like it doesn't. Damn. Like, you know, it doesn't look like. I don't know. It. It looks very um, posed and. I, I got the impression. I know this isn't the case. I got the impression with some of them that these were not sequential artists doing it. That these were like Warner Brothers. Um, you know, uh, you know, like concept artists doing it because there, there was that little, uh, there was that little, um, like movement or, uh, whatever to the, to the pieces of art. So you're telling me you don't care for Conan O'Burden. <laughs> I, that was fine. <laughs> and the masturbating bird. <laughs> I wish that was in there. I have some I have some jokes about that. If we can can we rapid fire those? Sure, go for it. Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, waste a minute of your time. Okay. <laughs> Preparation H, Ronnie Raymond. <laughs> and I and I have and I have one question for you here. Okay. Who if this if Conan O'Bird and crossed over with the DCU? Uh-huh. What which three DC heroes or villains would play the Slipknots? Okay, I was thinking a very boring choice, which would be Booster Gold, uh, Blue Beetle, and Mister Miracle. Um. Hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what the intrinsic qualities of the Slipknots are, <laughs> and I well they slip on nuts. I, I know. Look at them now. <laughs> they slip they, on some nuts. They fall down. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I feel like this, they clown around. <laughs> they do. Uh, I feel like the Slipknots are brought together by the music, not by friendship. So I think <laughs> that, that your your choice is reductive. Uh, <laughs> because they they would have been drawn together by the artistic merits of slipping on nuts, not necessarily by the uh, not because of their friendship beforehand. Uh, so let's see, who are the great musicians of the DC universe? Black Canary, Black Canary, um, Earth Two Black Canary, and Earth Three Black Canary. There you go. All right, All right fine. Okay. Um. <laughs> oh man, that's, that, that's that's some good shit though. I appreciate that. Um. So anyway, so I, as I was saying before, so I, I read this. I read the Luthor one first, and then I read this one, and then the Joker and the Harley Quinn. And I did that 
just kind of because of how the comics were just lined up on my on my desk that day. Um, and I feel like these books would be so much more enjoyable if only one of them came out a week for a month. If you didn't have to, and I know this is a problem unique to us because you can buy these books and read them whenever you want to, but I feel like trying to get through four of these books in a week is nearly impossible for me to enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I didn't even crack open the Harley Quinn one because I was so sick of them and because I'm sick of the Palmiotti Connor Harley Quinn anyway. So uh-huh. I just I didn't even open that one. So I'll, I'll let you. You didn't open it. No. So you missed Gossamer's big dick energy. Oh, th- does he have that? No, but well, I mean the energy. I mean, there. of course he does. He, we know he does. Does is that is that stated clearly? It's it's not really. Okay. But he he pops out of this. Harley finds him in a crate, basically. Okay. I guess I should say them. I don't really know. Uh, I don't know what Gossamer identifies as. You, come to think of you it, you didn't have that. Um... I'm going to leave that right there. I'm not going to even continue the path I was going. Uh, uh, they've got a dad bod, though. <laughs> I'm I'm leaning on it being a, a, a dude because it's Gossamer definitely has a dad bod and big dick energy, right. and I'm here for it okay. is what I'm saying. I, I actually love Gossamer as a character, um, so maybe I'll go back and read this eventually. But You're the one, huh? Yeah, I am. But you know, I couldn't. Uh, I just couldn't do the fourth, the fourth of these this week. It just seemed like too much. Yeah, Pierre Br- Pierre Brito's art on that one. I oh man, they've got this like very European style, which is fitting, I think, um, but not fitting for Harley Quinn and Gossamer, right? <laughs> you know, so like Gossamer comes off looking very. Uh, Horned up, I guess, is what. <laughs> it's a very horny depiction of Gossamer. Is this all points or what? Well, points, 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 all their own, sitting way up high. Okay. Way up firm and high. <laughs> Night moves. Working Bob Seger. Working on them. Uh, <laughs> Against the wind. <laughs> Still the same. Um, <laughs> it's a different song, I know, but maybe last. <laughs> well, so is Against the Wind. I know, but. Uh, Hollywood Nights. Old time rock and roll. The worst song ever written. <laughs> Hollywood Facts. <laughs> well, it's the Hollywood Facts, and we're going downtown. Going to Englewood now. <laughs> we're so fucking in the weeds of that, Zach, here. God. Um, all right, so, so, so let's just do this quickly, okay? So yeah. Catwoman and Tweety and Sylvester, the good was the sort of incorporation of the greater DC universe. What was the worst part of this issue? Of the Catwoman and Tweety yeah, thing? Yeah. Um I don't know. This this might have been the be- the the worst thing for me is still just the the Well let's talk about this, this issue in general because we're gonna go through all the all four issues. I don't think there was anything bad about the issue itself, I don't think. Okay. I've got complaints about the other ones, but um the actual content was fine. I thought it was the I thought it was the best at kind of getting those inside jokes in and coming up with a concept to make this whole ridiculous thing worthwhile. Um, the only problem I had with this issue was the art disconnect. 
Okay. Uh, Harley Quinn and Gossamer, you'll have to answer both the best and worst because I didn't read either. Yeah, so the best thing is the best thing is that they uh, Connor and Palmiotti kind of redo some some of the classic uh, Gossamer bits with Bugs Bunny, except it's with Harley, and those come off as really charming and true to the character. The worst thing about it is that it just it goes on for too long, and there's this like third act with the Joker, and of course. that yeah, and that's just like. It's too much at that point, you know. It's the issue starts off and it's um, Harley and Ivy, and that stuff's kind of cute. I always like when they do that. Um, but then you throw the Joker in at the end, and it kind of spoils everything. And yeah, I don't know. We didn't need the freaking Joker in that one. Okay. Uh, Lex Luthor, Porky Pig. I think this is the second best issue of the week. I can agree with that. Sure. Uh, of these four, not not of all the comics released this week. Yeah. Um, yes. Yep. I like the idea of Porky. If you're going to do a story like this where he's taken out of his element, having him as some like pathetic, like Willie Loman character is the way to go with him. Yeah, I think he's the perfect Patsy. Yeah. Yep. He would taste pretty good in a Patsy. <laughs> Um, this is, uh, you know, Mark Russell is pretty good at finding ways to take these characters and to fit them somewhat into the real world, you know, uh, and he's also good at at bringing, at bringing some relevant 2018 commentary into this. Like, I, I liked the idea that the LexCore, um, social media site would just be like Nazis to begin with. Yeah. Uh, did, yep. did you see the names of all those Nazis? Uh, yeah, but I'm not recalling any of them right now. My favorite one was More Guns Fairchild. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Rubber E. Lee. Uh, <laughs> Incel Inside. Yeah. Mind Clamp. Got him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this was fine. Again, like, th- this is... This was relatively true to everybody involved. Yeah. Yep. I did. I felt like this one went. I, they all went on a little too long. Yeah. Part of the problem is that these shouldn't be double sized issues. Yeah. Um. Also. <laughs> so Brad Walker can only do like three issues of Aquaman, but he has time for this. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Lex Luthor's dick doesn't work. I find it interesting that this book used being circumcised as a burn to Luthor. Did you notice that? <laughs> go, go into that, please. It just seems like it's an odd thing. Like, I, I don't. First, if you think about it logically, right? Uh, Jewish people are circumcised. Not just Jewish people, but like. And if it's supposed to be these alt-right people on the website that are, like, mad at Luthor, you would think him being circumcised. If he's not circumcised, they would think of him as being more of a real man. Again, we're going way too deep into this, but it just, it just seemed like a very odd thing to throw out there as an insult for for someone. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe Mark Russell's one of those uh, circumcision... Uh, 
Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's saying uncircumcised is something to be... They, that would be like a dig on him? No, they essentially dig on him because he is circumcised. Oh. I think. Hang on. Yeah. Well, I don't remember. Uh, yeah. No, I think they say Lex is uncircumcised. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry. Conversations sorry. I've never wanted to have yeah, Exactly. About that, these that's characters. what it is. They say he's uncircumcised, and he says, that son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand why it's a point of contention. Yeah. I, he's going to make the people in the in the uh, circumcision restoration society pretty mad. Yeah. Do you know Do you know about these people? Oh, I do. You can get yeah. I mean, look, I don't have an opinion one way or the other, but but you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm an adult and I'm and I'm I'm one way, I'm I'm not going back to the other nope, way. Nope. <laughs> nope. I'm not messing around. That anymore. die is cast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, uh, and then last one uh, again. I didn't read the Harley Quinn Gossamer, so I can't say it. But the Joker Daffy Duck was by far worse than the Catwoman or the um, <laughs> Lex ones. It was. Can I say though? Okay, I do have a best best thing about it though. That I've already read it once, and I'll never read it again. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I, I so I didn't like the story at all. Again, it's like Daffy working for like what's the deal with What's the Corky's deal with Lunatus characters working for DC? <laughs> That's half party, I know. That was yeah. What the hell was that? I don't know. <laughs> um No. So story aside, because I didn't like the story at all. I didn't think it was a particularly entertaining comic. I didn't think it looked particularly good. But this aesthetic for the Joker and who the Joker is, is kind of the Joker that I want, you know, like sure. If it's not, the story was not great, but the Joker that I always talk about when I, when I make fun of the dang twisted Joker, how dark and twisted he's been, the Joker I kind of clamor for going back to, at least in some way is this Joker. Who's like a Las Vegas comedian has like hokey very hokey like playing card sort of vegas imagery to his uh oeuvre Mm -hmm. got like a goofy headquarters henchman kind of hacky but still menacing like this is the joker that i want in other stories Aside from that, everything else about the issue was bad. You but. heard it here first. Vince Ostrowski wants a Scott Lobdell, Brett Booth Joker series. Hell yeah. Bring it on, bitch. What I thought you were going to say was that this comes closest to bringing an established Looney Tunes aesthetic into the DC universe. Like this, this <laughs> Daffy is probably the closest to the comic, to the cartoons that we get in these comics, right? Yeah. Yep. So. Anyway, I would say yes. Still sucks. Yes. Yep. Still bad. All right. Well, let's take a break and we shall return in just a moment with a discussion of the remaining four titles. Hello. We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Nightwing Annual number one with the Dream Team back together again. Ben Percy and Otto Schmidt. I think it goes without saying this is the best issue of the week, right? Oh, I don't know. I I didn't really I I almost couldn't finish it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I disagree completely. <laughs> I mean, the Dick the Dick Bab stuff was great. Don't get me wrong. You didn't like Dicky Vale? Uh I don't know. That whole plot line with the villain with the huge with the humongous teeth. Um. Oh man, it, it went completely off the rails for me. What about it went off the rails for you? I just, I to me, to me the the this whole focus on, um, tech or whatever this all this this feels like a bad cyborg comic storyline. It feels like you, a '90s. Did you feel idea that way during what, the Mooneyham art? Arc rather, I think Mooneyham carried that a lot for me. I did feel a little bit of that. I think I mentioned how it kind of, kind of was a little cheesy take on tech, but I think the Mooney Mooneyham art helped a lot. And I and I'm a fan of Otto Schmidt, but it that art was not doing it for me in this context. Oh, see, I I disagree with all, most of that. Oh man! All right, so all right, go off, King. <laughs> so art wise, I thought that Schmidt did a really nice job. There's a couple of of panels that are just amazing, like Dick's uh, reaction to getting a glute master, which is basically the thigh master. <laughs> like his yeah. his his reaction shot of that is, is fantastic. And I think Otto Schmidt does such a great job of making things look really vibrant and adding a sense of uh, cartoony sort of uh, surrealism to what is a relatively grounded story. I think his art was really, really well, well suited to this story. Um, as for the tech stuff, like I understand that this is certainly not the most nuanced, like this is not Jonathan Hickman's tech comic, right? I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I think that what it's trying to do for Nightwing in so much as that this is attempting to like establish Nightwing as a bit of a Luddite, which is not something we've ever really seen before, as far as I'm aware, and trying to sort of draw an interesting parallel between him and Babs, I think this stuff really works. I think it's pretty simplistic, but after the, like, you know, I just feel like with this Nightwing story... The purpose is not the tech. The tech is the delivery system that gets that gets you to the story, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like the story either. Though this villain is so like uninteresting to me. She's basically like the fake news villain, right? You mean our president? <laughs> oh, got him. Yep. He's going to resign tomorrow because of this. He's going to hear this, and that's it. He's finished. He's finished. It's done. 
Pack it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it reminded me, it just kept reminding me of a 90s comic in a bad way. I haven't said this in a long time, but you are entitled to your wrong opinions. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. I appreciate that. No, I I, uh, I disagree with that. I think this is fun. And the Dick and Bab stuff is great. I thought the, the Vicky Vale stuff was pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm enjoying the Ben Percy Nightwing so far. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> good. All right, l- let's let's dip into the Red Hood and the Outlaws annual number two. Oh boy! Written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Clayton Henry, whose work I tend to enjoy. Um. Like he's done a, a bunch of stuff at Valiant that I've really, really enjoyed, and there were moments here that I I dug, but for the most part, this was uh, this was kind of a slog of an issue. Yeah. Um, so I selected this issue for one of my comics should be cheap picks, <laughs> and in my this is I really wish I. Uh, read solicitations ahead of time, which I don't really do. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my in my little capsule, I wrote, uh, wow, Scott Lobdell's uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, this, you know, the second volume has been really great. And it's because he's gotten away from uh, the, the Roy Harper and the, and the Starfire team with, uh, with Red Hood that really was not working. <laughs> so you know if, if you haven't been reading give this a try <laughs> i had no idea they were going back to that well and sure enough i don't think this was as bad as that first volume oh certainly tended, not. tended to be there was a lot more heart in this i think than than there were was in those old issues but i'm i have no interest in going back to it i have no interest in this configuration of characters in this form by this writer you know yes i agree with that um Um, so i so i don't think this was the worst but i really wasn't i once i started to see it unfold i was like oh god i'm I'm not into this i do want to talk about a couple bits of it i always forget that killer croc is where harper's a sponsor oh i never forget (laughs) and uh and that's just a weird interesting bit of dc continuity to focus on every now and then. Um, this is like the umpteenth use of the multiversal map <laughs> in, in recent times. Yep. Um, and I have to say, there is something about making Roy Harper and Jason Todd buddies that sort of works because I feel like in the pantheon of Robins... There's so little that we remember about Jason Todd other than he's dead <laughs> that I think it's good to give him a little bit of something, you know, uh, to hold on to. And Ray Harper's a character that's been, you know, grossly misused over the past, you know, 20-ish years. So I, I think that it's good for them to have each other in this way. I just wish it was written differently. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think of the sort of epilogue with, um, 
with with uh what is what does Bizarro call Artemis? Red her? Uh Red Her, I believe. Yeah, with Red Her and Bizarro in that alternate universe. Well, I think it's a it's an interesting setup for something, but it it wasn't it wasn't much of a story in any way, although I will say last week we were calling for the Googe. Yep. And we got googed. We got googed to completion. I've got googe all over my laptop screen yep. right now. A dirty computer. I thought that was the term <laughs> to use for Vince's laptop. <laughs> Hoisted by my own petard. Yep. <laughs> Damn, son. Uh... Uh, so it looks like this next couple of issues of Red Hood are going to be called Red Hood Outlaw, where it's just like a Jason Todd story for a little while. Red Hood colon outlaw. Yes. Outlaw of the colon. Red Hood colon blow outlaw. <laughs> Seven? <laughs> Eight? Ten. Nine. <laughs> We're way in the weeds. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Sorry, Zach keeps us focused and off of the 90s SNL stuff. Um, But no, what I was going to say is, so after that Red Hood Outlaw arc, I hope that it's like a a Red Hood searches for the, uh, you know, for Bizarro and Artemis because, or at least maybe that Red Hood arc is that, you know, but I, I do like, I like that pairing of those three characters and I think Lobdell has written them really well, so... Yeah. Oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. This not liking this annual is not a knock on on what Lubdell's been doing post rebirth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um on that note, I should probably mention just my distaste for the annual in ge- I don't I, I don't get the annual. I don't think we need the annual in comics, you know? I know that it helps them sell like because they're five dollar issues, and it probably makes them some money. But and they tend to man. fall on these like weird fifth Wednesdays, or yeah, you know. Do you like the annual, Brian? See, I have a nostalgic appeal or a nostalgic like pull to the annual from when I was a kid. But I feel like annuals were different than maybe they weren't. Maybe that's just me romanticizing it. But I feel like I I could get behind the annual if the annuals did one of three things. If the annuals were just a um like uh a totally separate story that isn't meant to connect at all. I'm all for that. I think that makes sense. I think it makes sense if um if the annuals like do you remember back in the day, and this is a horrible example, but like the guerrilla warfare angle uh annuals were like all the Justice League books had an annual that tied into one story. Yes. So it was like a, it was a tie into something. It was a separate story that didn't necessarily tie into anything else. I think that makes a little bit of sense. Or I think it makes sense as the beginning or end of an arc. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is annuals like this that aren't totally separate from main story, that aren't really a part of something bigger, and just sort of lay there for no reason yeah they're clearly meant to be kind of skippable but 
but are but essentially take place in the same storyline and so or the overarching story of whatever the writer is right you know so like wouldn't it like be, you could skip this with no problem oh absolutely yeah but wouldn't it be fun if you know and and red hood and the outlaws is a weird title to talk about so let's just talk about nightwing instead okay wouldn't it be cool if for the Nightwing annual, and I know this is not as cool in 2018 as it would have been in 1988, but like Marv Wolfman and George Perez created Nightwing, right? For all intents and purposes, they created the the second incarnation of Dick Grayson. If those guys came back and did a Nightwing annual that wasn't set in modern continuity, that might be a fun comic to read. Mm-hmm. If you took superstar creators, you know, if if like what would, what I would if if I were DC. And I had signed Brian Bendis before I had Bendis do an ongoing series. I would have Bendis do all my annuals for a year. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a fun idea, right? Like, stuff like that. That'd be great. I think would be much more interesting than what we get with annuals now. Yeah. So, to your point about annuals used to be different, Uh I I think you are just, like, remembering the ones that you liked because – I'll just talk about Spider-Man because I read all of those annuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first Spider-Man annual, if I remember correctly, was like one or two new stories. They were short. They were like 10-page or 20-page stories or something like that. The annual itself was like 40 or 50 or 60 mm-hmm. pages, something like that, and and a bunch of reprint material. Like I'm pretty sure Amazing Fantasy 15 or at least like – or at least part of the first issue of Spider-Man was in there. Later, they would do annuals where they would be like those crossover tie-in or like um, story arc tie-ins that you're talking about. You know, uh, my favorite type of annual, which I wish, I wish annual meant one thing, and I wish it was this thing every time, is uh, some of the, you know, when there was that like collective of writers that I think included Dan Slott, but also like Joe Kelly was maybe part of it. And they were doing gauge maybe. Yeah. Yep. And they were doing, they were like trading off on amazing Spider-Man stories. The annuals around that time were like four or five or six stories in one issue. And they were pretty much all completely disconnected from everything. They were just like fun Spider-Man one-off stories, and I wish every I you know I wish they were like how DC does the holiday. That's yes. what annual should yes. be. Batman annual for the year or whatever should be these short little novelty stories that any writer could come in and do right. if they pitch it. That feature creative teams you're not seeing every month. Yes. That feature art that maybe takes a little bit of a risk too, like if we if we can't get risky uh, artistic turns on mainline big two stories anymore, why not do a little bit of that in some annual fashion? You know, yeah, that's what I want. I want I want every I want the annuals to kind of be like Action Comics one thousand with a little higher quality. I can get behind that. I feel like that would be – these are such a slog otherwise. Yeah, this week was very hard to get through. Even though, like we were saying before, with the 
the Hanna, the uh, Looney Tunes rather. I think if these annuals were spread out over more time, it would have been maybe a little bit easier. But like when every story feels like it doesn't matter, it's hard to it's hard to really care. Yeah. And the length is unnecessary for a lot of these stories. A lot of these annual stories are you can tell were twenty pagers that get stretched out because they need them to be annuals. Yep. Yep. All right, let's talk about Scarlet number one. Did you read this, Vince? I did read this. Written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Alex Maleev. I uh, I offered this review to our friend Walter Richardson, the OG Scarlet fan. Um, <laughs> but I had never he declined because he's dead, right? Uh, he declined because he's uninterested and therefore dead. Yes. Oh. Um, All right. Had you ever read Scarlet before? I did. Yep. I had not. I read the whole thing. Yep. What did you think of the first volume? So. Um, piggybacking off of what I said last time about the Bendis Jinx world creator own stuff, I have some of the same problems with this book as I do with his other books. But I think for my money, this is the best of all of them. And I remember, I remember feeling fondness for the first volume of Scarlet, even with all the delays and everything. There's still some of the annoying overdone dialogue stuff. It's still mostly talking heads. Although I think, I think this issue is a lot better about that than, um, whatever book we were talking about last week. Was it cover last week or Pearl? Pearl, I believe. Um, anyway, regardless, the thing that I like so much about Scarlet, I know we've talked about this on the show before, is that when it was coming out all those years ago, it felt extremely relevant. It felt like what I was reading in the comic was happening in the world at the moment that I read it. You know, I feel like that is still the case here. I feel like Bendis has tweaked it to the point that Obviously, this is a heightened reality, and this is like a logical endpoint for things that are going on in the world. Right. But the fact that it's set in Portland and like just a month ago or a few weeks ago, we had time. Time is a flat circle at this point. We had Proud Boys marching in Portland, and you had, uh, you know, the anti fascists and that whole thing and the, and the cops essentially, you know, I'm, I don't want to get into it, but um, very much what we're seeing on the page here. Right. Mm -hmm. with, with the exception of, you know, in this comic, people are uh, getting blown up. Buildings are getting blown up. People are getting droned at this point. You know, it's, it's uh, very heightened, but it feels like an exaggerated version of the present that we're in right now, at least the rhetorical present, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really impressive to me. I, you know, I don't think, I certainly don't think Bendis is the only person capable of this, but I think this is one of the few comics. We'll talk about one next week that does like a sort of a similar thing. But it's it's one of the few Alish Cott is doing some of this too, I think, right now. They're taking on these themes in a really direct and obvious way. 
Mm-hmm. There's obviously a lot of, uh, you know, the modern times inform the art that's made and the books that we're reading and things like that always. But this is one of the few comics that's taking it on in a way that is directly recognizable as something that you can point to in a time and place in America and and kind of aiming for that, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really fascinating to me. Um, and, and, I, and on that level, it's probably my favorite. It's going to be my favorite of Bendis' creator-owned stuff, I'm sure, still, after this uh, recent round. All right, so I don't disagree with anything you said there, necessarily. But this was too fucking talky for me. Yeah, there's just yeah. I mean, I I do agree with that. I yeah. You know, and I don't have the positive feelings with the first volume to buoy me through this. So you know, the first like five or six pages, I was like, oh, this is nice and not wordy, and then the rest of the issue is just unbelievably wordy, and it's it's mono. It's not even wordy. It's monologue, which is the worst kind of wordy. Yeah, and that's. Scarlet is actually mostly that. So, um, th- this is it's definitely the same style that it was before. Okay. Yeah, like I said, not bad, just not really my thing. Yeah, I am glad I'm giving all these Bendis Jinx World books a chance, though. Um, yeah. All right, well, we're on to our final issue of the week: the Silencer Annual, number one. Written by Dan Abnett, illustrated. We should say, by the way, that Alex Maleev illustrated uh, Scarlet. We never said that. You didn't. Neither did you. <laughs> yeah, but it's your job too. Always. Come I just sit here. I just sit here and look pretty. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, so, the Silencer Annual, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Jack Herbert. Um, this is fine, I guess. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't even really think it's fine. <laughs> this is such a nothing. I think you, you or I could have written this issue. Oh yeah. Know? Oh yeah. It's like okay, okay. We got to do a silencer origin. Um. All right. So we know that she has ties to Talia Al Ghul. What can we do? but bring Bruce into the proceedings, right? Got to have Batman. Got to get her Batman fix. And then, uh, oh, she's going to meet her husband too and got to keep everything a secret from him. It's it's all so paint by numbers. There's no, like, there's nothing entertaining about it. The art isn't particularly, I've liked Jack Herbert in the past. This is pretty, this stuff comes off as pretty posed to me. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we kind of talked about this last week, I think it was, but I've really thought about this, and I think I've determined what I what I truly believe is going on with the New Age of Heroes, which uh-huh. is that all these characters were pitched initially by the artists, and then the artists left, and the writers had to continue these stories they had no interest about. And like that's that's sort of the inversion of what happens every month, right? I am sure, for the most part, not for the most part. I'm sure there are plenty of artists out there who are drawing books because it's a paycheck and have no real connection to the 
source material, right? There are obviously books that are not that, where it's a true partnership. But we know, we know the books I'm talking about. You know, those books that get filled in all the time and those sorts of things. You guys are, are punching a clock, and that's fine. I don't begrudge them that whatsoever. But there's a difference between when the artist is doing that and the book falls flat visually versus a writer doing that and there's just nothing to the story. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. And so I think that couple that with, again, pretty safe artistic choices. Like If this issue was done by – I must pull a name of my master – Andrew McLean of, uh, of Headlopper. Like if you gave yeah. this book to, to a real visionary artist, I'd read the shit out of that book because I care about the visuals. But when you're giving it to, to these people who just don't – who are as close to DC house style – I know we had a discussion about that term last week. But um, as close to house style as you get, it just loses all of its interest to me. Mm-hmm. I also really don't understand – why the silencer's zone of silence is so effective. <laughs> Every, yeah, they really stretch to, uh, yeah. Like she, she, she sets the zone of silence. Everybody looks at each other and goes like, huh? And then, uh, <laughs> bring them back to Conan thing. And then yeah, she kicks yep. ass. But like, it doesn't stop bullets. It doesn't stop fighting. Yeah. It's like, they kind of act like nobody can see them. Right, which is not the case. Even though that's not the case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, folks, yeah. that does it for one of the shortest episodes of the DC3 cast on record. Yeah. So, um... And I couldn't spend a minute more talking about these no, episodes. <laughs> Uh, is next week any better, Vince? You probably already next week. Next week's gonna be you good. We're gonna books. we're gonna have some shit. Yeah, should we t- should we say what's next? Sure, that's always fun. Uh, well, I know Justice League number seven uh-huh. is coming out. Uh, did you read um, Border Town yet? Did did you read it? I did. Okay, okay. not to tip my hand, yeah. but it's pretty good. Oh, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, yeah. Um, Adventures of the Super Sons. Deathstroke. Yep. The uh, the controversial Matt Wagner Batman issue. Ooh, yeah. The unexpected. It's gonna be some, we're going we're gonna to spill the tea on that one. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and we're sort of burying the lead here. The Dreaming number one. Yes, the Dreaming number one. Yeah. And a couple of Bendis things for me to say the same thing about. <laughs> Well, until then, you can find me on Twitter at Brian into Nap. Vince is on Mastodon. Um, yep. The band. I mean the band yes, now. Yes, Vince has grown a beard and learned to play bass. Yep. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the voodoo shaman we have paid to bring Zach back from the dead is successful. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Abracadabra, one, two, three. What is this new fried delicacy? <laughs>